we've talked a lot about online glasses on the podcast here, and we've talked about how do you integrate it into your current practice? How do we sell online to our current patient base? Because frankly, patients want to buy online, and it's not necessarily that they want to buy cheap. They just want easy access. They want convenience. And uh, during the pandemic, we saw um, skyrocket sales in, in contact lenses. Uh, brands like Amazon crushed it. And here we are as uh, retailers and optometry practices still trying to figure out the online space. So I'm bringing on Mark Weinstein. He's actually an optometrist. And he started off in the basement of Macy's in, in New York City. And we'll, we'll tell that, uh, that story of his misery. And he uh, is quite the entrepreneur. And he went through a process of um, taking a different path in the industry and ultimately founded something called $39glasses.com. And he sells direct to consumer. And we're going to talk to him about his experience, how he did it all the way back in 2003, actually going neck and neck with Zenny.com, who is just a, a, a mammoth today, just massive in the market. And by the way, if you've never gone to uh, either website, go to both websites. I'll put it in the show notes. Beautiful uh, UI, UX, and uh, pay attention to the really the psychology of how they um, work with consumers. So, yo, yo, my name is Perry Brill, entrepreneur. Yeah, it's a big deal. We talk about all things I care because I care about I care technology i wear so many revolutionary things in i care tech startups and innovation the coolest i care stuff in the nation are you an i dog or an optician doesn't really matter because we cook it in the kitchen yeah uh, welcome to the podcast thank you perry it's a pleasure to be here so let's get the the lowdown uh why optometry school Sure. Well, I mean, for me, it all started when I was a kid. Um, I had a lot of vision problems as a kid. And, you know, it's, it's a very interesting story because, you know, I grew up in New York and I was doing very poorly in school. And my mom took me to the greatest ophthalmologists and they said, you know what? He sees fine. There's nothing wrong with him. But I couldn't figure out why I was having trouble reading. And finally, on a recommendation, she took me to an optometrist who did some, you know, binocular vision testing. And within a very short period of time, realized I had a very severe convergence problem. And I was very lucky that he worked with um, a team that did vision therapy. And within a short period of time, I was really a changed person. Um, I had VT. Um, I did the full, you know, set up. I did, I did all the stuff. We still do the same things today. Uh, my son's going through it as we speak. So, um, and it worked incredible. All of a sudden my headaches went away. All of a sudden my difficulty reading, I wasn't skipping around when I was reading the page. And from that point forward, I knew that optometry was something truly remarkable. My mom also like the whole family were just like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and then I forgot about all of that. So fast forward now. Because generally, generally they thought, you know, as a kid, it's like, oh, what is this dummy doing? Why can't he read? Exactly. But it's like, no, I just had visual issues. Incredible. And, and you know, listen, I know there's a lot of skepticism about um, uh, vision therapy in general, even within our profession. I think there is some skepticism. And look, if you read the scientific papers, there's no doubt that there are certain things that it's better for than others. But when it comes to something like convergence insufficiency specifically, it works. And it works very well. Um, not only am I a beneficiary, but like I said, my son is actually going through it as we speak. And he had very similar issues to me. He's 11 and he's noticed the same level of improvement. So maybe there's a genetic component. We can look into that. But at the end of the day, I am a very big believer in vision therapy, the College of Visual Development and everything that they do. And I think it's absolutely one of the huge differentiators in optometry um, compared to other eye care professions. So it's something that you know I feel very passionate about. There's some major innovations in vision therapy. Uh, a lot of uh, iPad applications coming out. Uh, kids can do it from home. It used to be this whole thing. Let's schedule 52 appointments, go to the office. So it, it's nice to see this hybrid environment that's occurring. Absolutely. And in fact, my son did that, you know, over COVID, you know, he started in office. And then when COVID hit, there was some modifications. They gave us things to do at home. There was some software that was phenomenal. And, uh, 
you know, the combination really works terrific. And he's had tremendous improvement. So I, I'm, like I said, I, as an OD and as a father and, and a patient, I, I'm a big believer in vision therapy. And, you know, I would be, I mean, it would be wrong for me not to plug that right now before we even discuss anything else. You know, I think it's a huge thing. So then getting back to my story, my story. So I, I did that. Um, I was really helped. And then I was 13. I forgot about it. Um, decided I wanted to be an accountant, a lawyer, whatever. I went to college. I was um, a, a poetry major, you know, when I started college. <laughs> with, if you can even major in that, I tried. Um, and then over the course of my first couple of years, I moved around. I looked at business, accounting, different things. And finally, I actually had a friend who was pre-med and we kind of spoke. And then I kind of th started thinking about my history and said, you know, I really want to revisit optometry because I think it helped me tremendously. And I think it's a great profession. And uh, I started looking into it and I said, you know what, this is for me. So fast forward, went to college, changed my major, went pre-med, ultimately went to school in Chicago. Um, and it was a phenomenal experience. I went to ICO. Um, and How many Italian beef did you eat during the week? You know, Wow. So I'll tell you, it was great because, you know, what's great about ICO is that, you know, my first year I lived in the dorm, which was just the most fun place on earth. And uh, it was like just a frat house, basically. It was ridiculous. You know, we all have the same schedule. We're all, you know, take those exams on Monday. You know, I, back when I went, I started in 93 at ICO. And back then, you know, everyone got tested on Monday, three exams, eight in the morning, and then you were done. And then it was just party. You know? And everyone, got, dare I say, we all got drunk and crazy. And it was, it was a lot, a lot of fun, you know? So it, we really had a good time in Chicago. The city of Chicago is amazing. I lived in Wrigleyville for a while. And, you know, it was just an experience that I will never forget. Even being from New York, I, I'm a big advocate of Chicago for that reason. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. So did that, loved it. Um, decided I really loved low vision. Um, it was something I really started to develop interest in while I was in optometry school. And um, wound up doing a low vision residency in um, UAB in Birmingham. And that was also a fantastic experience. Um, I really enjoyed that. Had a great team around um, the hospital there, also UAB. Um, it was kind of both the VA Medical Center and uh, the UAB School of Optometry. It was kind of a combined program. So had a lot of experience there with, um, uh, you know, hospital patients, seeing that whole experience, and then also the academic environment um, and working at, at the UAB School. Um, and really was exposed to a lot of very interesting stuff. While I was there, I also had a part-time job where I worked for Jack Schaefer, um, the OD. Um, uh, he has a very large practice in uh, Birmingham. It's pretty well known in the industry. Jack Schaefer, I mean, that, that is a household name in eye care for sure. So I worked, I worked for him um, as a part-time job after work, so to speak. You know, now I didn't, so I didn't have an optometry license to practice in Alabama. So I was only able to work as a technician, but it was really an amazing experience that one year. Um, and he was very instrumental in, in my learning, you know, clinical skills. And he, I learned, I just kind of watched and I learned a lot about retail, um, just seeing how he handled things and handled patients and kind of the handoff with the optical. And also he had like contracts with VA hospitals where he did it there. And it was just a really eye-opening experience. Before that, I had never really seen anything like that. Um, I had really been just only in the academic environment. And really, I was just focused on that. But then seeing what he was doing there, it really kind of opened my eyes to like the potential of optometry from a business perspective. And also the clinical, because he's a phenomenal clinician. And his just even back in the 97, 98, when I was there, and just the techniques, he had the newest technology with retinal photography. And he was just, he was on the cutting edge of everything. And you know, he really prided himself on his clinical skills. So it was it was really a great experience for me uh, to see both sides of the equation. Um, so that, that was fantastic. And then I moved back to New York and all of a sudden I was at Macy's. <laughs> so that was an experience. And that was not what I expected. That was supposed to be a... How did you find that job? There was no Craigslist. There was no Indeed. Here's the truth. I mean... I moved back. I, I threw everything in my car when my residency was over. I, I was going to stay. And then I was like, you know what? I need to get back with my life. And, you know, 
find my way in New York, you know? And so I moved back. I moved into my mom's basement, the classic story. I was 26, 27, and uh, I needed to get a job right away. The loans were coming in. And uh, I wanted to work in a retina specialist practice, um, doing low vision, and, and really kind of focus on that. But I'm like, I need to pay bills too. What was a optometry school uh, price of it back then? Today, I mean, we're seeing people come out with three, four, five hundred in debt. What were you? What was it for you? Around? So it was it was a lot. I was very fortunate. I was actually what I, I was actually lucky. I was a presidential scholar at uh, ICO, so I got a half tuition scholarship. But even with that, um, it was I would I want to say at least almost a hundred k, which okay. I know maybe doesn't sound like a lot right now, but back then that was with the scholarship and with everything, and it was still you know, maybe 15,000 for tuition plus living expenses and, and everything else. And and it was pricey, you know, and you could see it was going yeah. up a lot even while we were there. Um, so I had those loans to pay, you know, and uh, I was looking through the New York Times and the, the one ads because back then, like you said, there was no Craigslist, really. You're talking about the 90s and everything was New York Times, you know, listings. And I saw an ad for Macy's Vision Express and I said, you know what, let me, let me I need a job. You know, and this is the this is the Macy's, the the big massive store that many of us have gone into, right? So yes and no. So it's interesting. Okay. I did ultimately work there and was the main doctor okay. there, and 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 was in charge of all the optometry. But initially, it was actually a Macy's in Brooklyn on Fulton Street, which oh. is in downtown Brooklyn. Um, and uh, it was you know it was one of these things. I was, it was in in women's underwear. So you know, here I am. I have this very you know per, this ideal of optometry where I'm going to go in and this, you know, white coat, and it's going to be this incredible environment. And here I am, you know, working in women's underwear and lingerie, you know, doing eye exams. And I was like, listen, you know, this is definitely not what I expected. Definitely not what I expected. Retail optometry in New York in the late nineties was not what I originally anticipated, but you learn. And I had a great person that owned it, a gentleman by the name of Howard Freed, who I hadn't known previously, but we became very good friends. And um, through that experience, I kind of watched and learned again. And I then moved over to the Herald Square location, which is the one you were seeing. And they had they had so eye exams, and then they had a retail like with optical, and you're you're fitting contact lenses. And, and, you know, what was great is he gave us a lot of, so I was very fortunate that Howard was an OD himself. And so it was great. He he said to me, Mark, you know, you can do practice optometry, you know, and which was amazing. Um, so I was able to do, you know, our RGP fittings and, and you know, Torix, which, and, and anything I needed to do and, and treat people with, you know, back then in New York, you couldn't do much in the way of treatment, but um, to the, to the extent we could, we were able to treat there and, um, you know, really take care of patients in a, in a nice way. So that that was great. The the quality of care we were able to provide was, you know, a quality exam. You know, obviously we didn't have all the equipment, but it, it was pretty good. Um, sure. So we did that, and and eventually I moved to the New York City location. Um, Howard had actually purchased that from the original owner, so it was like a small chain. It was like three or four stores, and um, you know, once I started working there, I started watching the retail side of it a little bit more. And I think there was like an epiphany for me, like where I saw, you know, a lot of patients coming in and it was very expensive eyeglasses. And I started to see people couldn't afford to actually make the purchase. And I started thinking to myself, you know, what else can we do here? Um, and I had just uh, unrelated been involved in another technology startup while I was doing all of this. Um, I had had an idea for using credit card swipers with a personal computer, something akin to like a PayPal. Um, and I formed a partnership with some guys and we had, it was called Easy Swipe. And we went on this escapade for a couple of years where we were meeting with venture capitalists and all these exciting things. And it was pretty amazing, actually. We had this amazing technology and prototype because um, back then people were afraid to use their credit cards. And it was a whirlwind experience. Um, ultimately, there was a little bit of infighting. It didn't work out. So we kind of dissolved. But right at that same time, I realized I wanted to do something technology related and something entrepreneurial. And so fast forward, I see this opportunity. Uh, the internet is this growing thing. Amazon is starting to sell books and everything. And there's some other sites that are coming up in the late 2000s. 
Yeah. Did you have you had a computer at home, a little desktop computer, or were you going to, were you going to the library or what? You know, so it's funny. I I did. I had an old computer at home, and I I but I was living in a studio apartment. You know, living paycheck to paycheck. Um, I needed to just borrow some money. I took out a fifteen thousand dollar loan from the Dime Savings Bank, an unsecured loan at a high interest rate. I spent half of it on a laptop. <laughs> it was about six grand. I don't know how I did that. So I had a It was a big paper, big paperweight. Like what was it? Windows ninety eight or what were we on at that point? I think we, I want to say it was probably Windows ninety eight. Yeah. Okay. Or, or it could have been X. Was it XP? Or no, no, I don't even think XP. Yeah, did you have a Dell or a Gateway? Absolutely, or I had a Dell. I, I had a Dell. You know, Dell was the big thing. It was Dell and Gateway? You know, and Micron. Those were the big three. You know, I had a Dell. It was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and listen, back then our first ad campaign was with Valpak. You know, and we literally um, had twenty pairs of glasses. And we put little tiny pictures, this like this big, on one little valve pack of each pair of glasses. And we put a P.O. box on there. And you know what? People mailed in. Like, they mailed in their prescription, and they circled the one they want, you know? You, you've got to be kidding me. So you started – okay, so you came up with this idea that you want to do mail-order glasses. What do I want to do? Internet. We had a website, but people weren't going to, people didn't want to buy it online. They wanted to mail it in. They didn't want to actually do the internet part. We gave them the URL, but they would just mail in the glasses. How did you know how to do the internet stuff? Let's, let's go there. So website, it's not, I'm assuming you don't know how to code. Did you have a buddy or like what? I had a patient at Macy's who I started schmoozing with while she was dilating. And she was like, you know, I'm a graphic designer. My boyfriend is a, um, he does web design. And I was like, you know, it's funny you should say that um, because I'm doing a little project. And we literally sat down at a local coffee shop in Greenwich Village and we wrote up all the original stuff. And it's the website's still up there on the archive.org. You can see the original version. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Guys. If, if you've never been to the archive, you can go look at, shoot, if you've been in practice for 30 years, go look at your website from 2005. It's hilarious. So, yeah. And so we literally sat down at a coffee shop. We wrote everything up. And he helped me kind of design it and, and put it all together. And we created this very basic concept website. And the it only was $39 glasses. There was no sunglasses. There was no um, progressives or, or any multifocal. But the value prop was that it was polycarbonate. And that was important to me, was that everybody got polycarbonate. So we kind of made that our unique value prop. If it was for kids or if it was just in general, they were going to get the, the, the impact-resistant lenses. So no one had really done that at that point. Um, when I started, the only sites really were Frames Direct. Uh, Frames Direct was around before us. Um, and they were, they were, okay. Yeah, they were around before us. And they were selling designer frames at a discount. That's really what their focal point was. It was mostly, you know, your Armani frame for 15% below uh, retail kind of thing. Yeah. Is Frames Direct owned by Luxottica today? Yes. I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And then, but how did you know how to source frames? Like, did you have some like Chinese connections? Were you buying from Americans? Like, how did you know how to buy? It was very simple. I worked at Macy's. There was reps coming in all the time. I, I met with the LBI rep. I, I I talked to him for a while. I'm like, listen, I'm doing this crazy venture. And he was like, huh? And I was like, listen, I want to buy 500 frames. He had trunk, trunk stock, he or she? or Yeah. It, it, no. I, I don't even remember his name, to be very honest with you. I think his name was Stuart. Um, and basically, I bought an initial bunch of frames from him. Uh, and I said, just give me your best sellers. And right at that same time, I met my future wife. And on our first date, she came and met me in my apartment. And my box just came to my apartment. And I said to her, I said, before we go out, can you just help me count these frames? So the first on our first date, she literally helped me count to make sure I got the whole 500 frames. And she's yeah. like, oh, my God. <laughs> she should have run, to be honest with you. But she decided to yeah. stick with me. I don't know why. And what was the styling of, of the frames at the time? Were you just selling like some basic acetate, you know, P3s and aviators or, or – metals like yeah it was it was mostly it was a lot of metal just very generic you know circa 2000 you know lbi um i'm trying to think there was lbi yeah. yeah so it was it was very you know simple but but it was nice stuff you know stuff that people were purchasing uh at macy's and 
you know, the price was a good price at that time. And, um, you know, listen, it was a simple concept, but then I needed a place to make the glasses. Now I didn't have a lab and I didn't have one in my house. So I actually started to call wholesale labs and most of the time I got hung up on, (laughs) but there was one lab, which everyone knows now as 21st century in uh, Long Island city. It's a wholesale lab. Um, and they were very nice. And I, I met with them and, you know, I walked in there. I didn't have a lot of credibility. I was a young guy. I brought my aunt with me to add a little more credibility because she was my, <laughs> yeah. only empo- she was my employee. She was working part-time from her house. Like the phone number okay. on the website was actually her home number. So uh-huh. um, I brought her in for- Let me put the frying pan down one second. Exactly. I'm just making dinner. Exactly. So I brought her in and uh, she came in with me. We had a great conversation. I said, look. I have no business right now. And I don't know if this is going to ever be anything. They were kind of like very skeptical that people would buy glasses on the internet. And I think most people were. And I said, look, I can't promise you anyone will ever do this, but we're going to try. And they were very nice. And they built a little closet for me. And I put my LBI frames in there. And when the order came in, we faxed it over to them, you know, and they took a frame and they made a pair of glasses and you know, one by one, and we we built up a system, on, and and it was a. And they warehouse the frames for you. They warehouse the frames for me because okay. I was working full time at Macy's. Still, you know, I was I I was still working. You know, ten to six at Macy's, so I didn't really have time. So my aunt was just faxing the orders, and I would work on my lunch break. And you know, back then it was still dial up, so there was no like going on your phone or anything. So I had to find like the lab the lab pc and the aol dial up and by the time it got through my lunch was over already it was like it was crazy yeah. you know yeah so so back to the valpac thing though so you put these little tiny images you could hardly even see the glasses but they were only 39 dollars so there i'm assuming there wasn't too much pushback there wasn't too much pushback. Probably, first of all, nobody knew about it. You know, there was there was yeah. seven people that knew about this. So that was, did people really mail that in though? I mean, they you really had, did. I mean, did you get like fifty orders? I mean, did you get? You like know, 300 I would, I would even say fifty. It was probably less than fifty. It was probably okay. like maybe half of that, probably. But it was interesting. We did the one mail, and we could only afford one send. So we only did. It was a validation for you that okay, there might be something here. But there was yeah, it was mostly just local. New, it was mostly people from Manhattan. Um, and they would put their physical prescription, they would circle it. And, you know, it was just very simple. I I don't know how they knew that this was going to work, but they did it. And, uh, it was validation. And eventually people started to see, uh, the website. Um, we started using Yahoo as a, as a, a, a platform back then they had something called Yahoo stores and it was pretty cool stuff. So, um, it was pretty sophisticated for 2002. Um, yeah, no, no Shopify, no. We'll there was no Shopify. That. No, there was no nothing. There was a Magento. There wasn't any of these things. You know, it was before anything. So, but but it was pretty pretty good for the time, and and that was kind of where we started taking it to the next level. I think um, going through Yahoo um, and advertising there. Google wasn't even really a thing back then. Um, Yahoo was the original player um, in terms of of SEO and and uh, paying for things like that. So. Yeah, it was it was we were in the early stages of e-commerce. You know, when we talk to e-commerce people, it's the same thing. Like we kind of were like when the original e-commerce sites just in general, you know, talking about like the early days and, you know, where we how we did things and original original things. It, it was it was a fascinating time, you know, to watch everything yeah. evolve. So was that patient you had was the the boyfriend really the key factor into getting this website off the ground and maintaining it? Or did you kind of find a different cadence of start meeting other tech people to say, Hey, you know, did you go to an agency? If there was even e-com agencies out there, I'm not sure. We did. Yes. So that, that site was very, very basic. Um, and, and we knew pretty quickly that that was, you know, only phase one of many. So we did, we started looking for, uh, people, we found individuals, um, that, that helped us move. And then we, had some heartbreak where we built a site in Flash. Now, Flash doesn't even exist anymore. But in 2003, it was a new technology. Unfortunately, people were on dial-up. So what happened was we built the site in Flash because we were convinced to do this. And then nobody could access it because nobody's connection was fast enough. So that almost put us out of business at that point. So that was crazy. Um, and then right around that time, we, we um, started moving to an open source platform. And that's kind of where we kind of went off from there. So we moved to um, uh, a platform 
that was an e-commerce platform in general written in Perl, which is like PHP. It's like the, the grandfather language to PHP. And that's when we started being able to customize and do things, you know, kind of take it to the next level. And that's also when Zenny kind of came around, who started their business as $19glasses.com. So, so they were originally like, they were just like the cheaper version of us originally. That was their... Oh, they really, they really called it $19glasses.com. Really, the URL still works, I believe. I still think if you type it in, it, it goes directly to their site. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was clearly a complete... Yeah, uh, rip off of what you're doing just at a lower price. 100%, you know? But so they did that. And then one day I woke up and then it was $8. And then I was like, oh boy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so yeah, and, and I think we all know the story after that. So, you know, it's it, listen, the internet has grown rapidly since then, as as we all know. And then around, I buy, I buy direct came around, I want to say 2004-ish, you know, probably a little bit right after Zenny. Um, and they've also kind of once, especially when they were bought by Essilor, they kind of grew a lot. Um, then the coastal, uh, before Warby had the whole big coastal thing with the free eyeglasses that we all had to endure. Oh my God. I for, even forgot about the word. I forgot coastal. about that. Oh. He's coming back yeah. by the way. He's got a new one in Canada. That's hilarious. You know, this is so funny. I share a little anecdote here. Patient my, comes in, sees my dad and he brings in 15 pairs of coastal glasses. 15 pairs. And how much do those 15 pairs cost? Maybe 150 for all of them. It's crazy. And he says, I can't see out of any of them. And it, it was just so funny. Yeah. And they were all garbage, you know, injected, just plastic, just terrible. Now for that person, it, it may have been, it worked for that price. It doesn't even matter. Right. Like it's, it's, we call it good enough. Yeah. You know, I buy these, uh, these uh, HDMI cords, not HDMI, uh, phone charging cords on Amazon, they last me like four months. I'm like, okay, I should probably buy the better ones. Right, right. No, <laughs> they fray after a few few months. Yeah. Really, what got it to take off? Was there anything that really was an epiphany for you? Well, you know, I think um, it's, it's, I think, like I said, in the earlier stages for us in the mid, you know, 2005, 2006, you know, that's also before Coastal and Warby really kind of took it, you know, to the next level. You know, we were kind of competing, Zenny was competing, in, and there was awareness, you know, Google SEO, we were doing a lot with that. Um, we were doing affiliate programs, we were doing different things, and we were getting good. Did you buy AdWords too? Um, well, we did, right. Well, AdWords, exactly, 100%. Um, you know, just in terms of when people do a Google search, you know, we were showing up for that. Um, and SEO, SEO is very important as well. You know, just trying to do natural listings. Um, like I said, we had affiliate programs. We were working with, you know, bloggers and different sites and things like that. Um, trying to, you know, kind of go from different angles. Also, um, doctor's offices, believe it or not, we, to this day, we have turnkey, you know, we have doctors that actually buy from us and, and, um, you know, have our frames and, you know, we do like, you know, all, all in, you know, we just mail them the glasses with the prescription in there and they dispense them. And, you know, it's almost like a wholesale kind of situation. Um, you know, they like the fact that we use very high quality lenses, free form, everything. And, you know, we get it to them very fast. And, and you know, that's something we, we take pride on as well. Um, but, you know, I would say around 2005, 2006 is when things really started to click um, as we started to get our technology figured out and, you know, at that point, I was now full time working for the company. I literally had to, you know, work five days a week, then four, then three, and then I also have a partner, and he came in, and then he also did the same thing, um, and then eventually, like I said, about two thousand five, we we both uh, were going full time. So that got it. So I want to talk about really the quality of online glasses. It's it's been very taboo for the past ten years. And um, there, there's a lot of propaganda online between all the online retailers and, you know, Warby is famous for saying we cut the middleman out. There's a lot of middleman in every single industry. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer in you can have really good quality frames and buy them at a fair price or inexpensive. Well, let me just take the, art, the, the professional channel. You have your you have your raw suppliers and you have your manufacturers and then... You have shipping, could be boat, could be air, and then it lands in the USA. And then you got a whole sales team, marketing team that has to get the product out. Then they go to the trade show in New York City. Now you have a frame rep, ship it back to the practice. And now 
here's why the frame costs $100 wholesale. There's a lot that goes into getting that frame into that private practice retail store. And that's why retail costs more. Absolutely. Hey listeners, this is Perry. I want to share with you uh, something that I have released in the past six months that I am just very, very uh, hyped about. And it's my new remote staffing business called I Help You. EYE Help You. I know, super, super cheesy, but that's the way it is in eye care. And as you know from my intro, I care about eye care. Many practices are short staffed. They're having trouble hiring or they're just super busy and they just need one extra helping hand and hiring locally in your 20 mile radius is not always ideal. You wish that you could have somebody remote working for you, answering phones, doing data entry, submitting VSP orders, submitting IMED orders, submitting Medicaid orders, virtual scribing, anything and everything that involves a computer or a phone call my remote team can do for you. We have over 30 remote team members currently across the USA and the UK and some other countries as well who are doing things to make office life easier. All of my team members are highly vetted. I interview them. I check references on them to make sure I deliver you the best candidates possible. They only work for your practice and you're going to find that they work just as efficiently if not even more efficient than the people in your office because they're not distracted. They don't have to get dressed. So if you're looking for a way to uh, solve problems in your office, please hit me up, go to the show notes. The first step you can do is just tell me what is going on in your office that you feel like is lacking and I'll line up interviews for you and you'll hop on Zoom, speed date, interview them and off to the races with your new team member. Uh, Check it out and let's get back to the episode. When people see a frame online for $39 or even $125, they're like, gosh, that must just be a piece of garbage, right? But, you know, what do we, how do we uh, share to our audience here that you can have a pretty decent pair of glasses that's functional, the RX is correct. Um, We can provide really great customer service online because we all know that in order for us to survive, just as an industry, we we can't just have Luxottica out here ruling the online market. That, that's not a, a good way of doing business. We need a lot of differentiation. What kind of quality are you providing? What is your customer feedback and, and that type of thing? Absolutely. I mean, that's a great question. Um, thanks, Perry. Um, yes. So you're 100% correct in what you just said about the frames, about that process. Um, we actually, pretty much all of our frames, we purchase from American uh, companies. Now, the frames themselves are not made in America, but they're companies sure. that your uh, listeners all use. Um, and we take great pride in that. We we only bring a very small percentage of our frames directly ourselves. Um, virtually none, actually. I mean, it's a very small percentage. Um, and you know those manufacturers we get we get economies of scale with them because we buy the same frames over and over again on a large scale so if you think about it if you look at a website whether it's mine or anybody else's and you see you know a particular frame and you see it in you know three colors you know we're we're always buying that same exact frame so when they place orders they're able to place almost like you know separate orders directly for us you know for those particular frames and they're coming directly over and just being shipped directly to us. Um, and so we, we, we trust the American companies and that's why we choose to actually use those middlemen, so to speak, because they ensure that the quality is there with the factories and they work with the best factories. And, you know, when you work directly with a factory and you're not in that industry, you might get a lot of bad quality. Um, and that's something we are very concerned about, which is why we pay a little bit extra to work with um, American companies that actually bring it in for us. And that's very important. Um, in terms of the lenses, just to say it very candidly, all of our lenses are SLR lenses. Um, we actually use that brand of lens, whether it's single vision or multifocal. So, you know, we're, we're using those brand those brands for virtually you know, 90 plus percent of our lenses. Then we do have a few, you know, 174 or so, you know, certain very specific. Are you using USA-based labs or anything overseas? It's all USA-based, USA-based. Essilor lenses. And see, this is the, the crazy thing about this industry. You can have um, Essilor Hoya Zeiss lens. You could pay $300 for that lens or you could pay $50 or $20, but it could be the same exact lens. I think it all comes down to volume. 
Yeah, it, it, it's true. Right it, now. It, correct. And also, to be fair, I mean, Essilor also has, you know, um, different brands. And so even within their, you know, they, they might have different levels in terms of their brands. And even it could be the same quality, but, you know, you'll pay sometimes, like we all know that Verilux is a brand, but then there are, you know, in-house brands that have a similar design, you know, things like that. And, and you can pay a lot less for that. So we kind of leverage mm -hmm. a lot of those aspects. You know, we're able to get premium quality in terms of the material, in terms of the design, but we're not necessarily using their, you know, the brands that are household brand names per se. Yeah, Verilex X and whatnot. How, do you, how does quality control work in the online space? So I'm a patient. Um, I'm naive. Like, let's just give me for an example. I'm a minus seven and a minus six, and I need high index, of course. So uh, just being a stupid 30-year-old, you know, let's say I go online and I order a CR39 and some acetate frame, and you know it's going to come out thick. Do you guys have measures in place to weed out bad orders so you can really provide a good customer service experience? Say, hey, Perry, I see you ordered this, but let me just tell you, this is going to come out really poor. Here's our recommendation. Is that something you provide? 100%. Um, and we do it on multiple fronts. So obviously, if someone's a pre-existing uh, customer, we have previous order history, and we're able not just to look at the frame that they've chosen, but compare it to other frames that they've worn in the past. Also make sure the pupillary distance is consistent, things of that nature. Interesting. So you'll be like, hey, you chose a 58i, but you've really been ordering 52. So let's take right. a look. Right. And I think that's something that anybody in private office can do as well. And I think that's something yeah. we should all be doing is, is looking at a patient's, you know, previous wearing history. I learned something in optometry school that I'll never forget. It was my first or second year. It was one of the, one of the um, professors. He wasn't even in clinic. And at the end of the whole class, he just said, don't rock the boat. You know, <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If somebody is comfortable, they have clear vision, they're wearing something that they're happy with, and then all of a sudden they've chosen something that's going to radically alter that, whether it's seg high, whether it's PD, you know, frame PD, whether it's, you know, something that's just fundamentally different. We really have to question if we're going to have a good user experience after that. So we try very hard to, to do what you just described, which is look at what they've done, but also look at what they've chosen based on their RX. And we do have algorithms built into our system that will determine you know, what is a good fit for different combinations. And that's a very big part of it. And it, it, it's done for both the patient and selfishly, because if you think about it, we also want a good user experience from our end as well. We don't want them to return it. We don't want them to remake that they're unhappy, right? So we, it's in our best interest as well to make sure that they get a good pair of eyeglasses. Yeah. And I, I'm totally with you. I rocked the boat. Uh, I dispensed for a decade. You know, I've, I've worked with thousands of patients making tons of glasses, I, you know, edging the glasses, doing it all. And when I see someone, uh, whether it's a current patient or a new patient coming in, and the pair of glasses just looks garbage. It, it's sitting down. It's thick. I, I see the indentions behind their ears, but they're not complaining. They just accept it as the norm. This is what it is. And I totally don't believe in that. I'm like, no. This is crap. Whoever fit you this did a miser miserable job. Now, I'll say it in a really kind way, but I think it's really important that we are the experts. We need to step up and say that. No, I listen. I And that's where that in-person experience cannot be duplicated online. You know, and I think that's yeah. something. And, and, and it's so important for, for people to say, I'm an OD. You know, my partner is an OD as well. Um, and he was in private practice before um, we did this business. And... We know that there are certain parts of the experience that cannot be replicated online. You know, the online experience is, it's, an, I, wanna, I don't want to say it's a niche, it's a little more than a niche, but it's, it's for certain people. And there are a lot of people that it's never going to be a reasonable thing. Just like a lot of people don't like telemedicine, you know, that's just, it's for certain people. And for a lot of people, there's nothing that's going to replace that in-person experience. Um, and I think... Online you can compare it to, oh my God. So I use Instacart. The last batch of tomatoes I got were crap. The guy pulled all the Roma tomatoes that were hard as a rock. I'm like, yes, I can't order vegetables online. That's just part of it. Yeah. So I, yes, I can order an apple. An apple's an apple. It's not like, 
that doesn't differ much. But a tomato, you know. Absolutely. No, I, I'm with you. I love tomatoes. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, like I said, the internet is here. It's growing rapidly. You know, I think we all see that. But if I could say one thing to the listeners, I would say embrace technology, not, not just the internet, but technology in general, because I think that it's everybody's friend. We all use it every day. Everyone's got a phone in their pocket. Everyone's downloading apps. Everyone's using apps for all kinds of stuff. We, we, go, to a, we go to a sporting event. We use the QR code. We're using it to go to, I was just at the movies the other day. We use it to scan a QR. Um, you, we were showing our vaccination proof on our phone. We're doing everything now. Okay, Apple Pay, the Apple Wallet. I, I just flew on JetBlue. My tickets were in my Apple Wallet. I don't have to print them out anymore. Everything's done through the app now. And the truth is, technology is a part. So thinking about how everyday life can be incorporated into the best technology, it, it's the right way to think going forward for everybody. And I think it, you have to embrace it. You know? Yeah. Speaking of JetBlue, I flew on JetBlue a couple months ago for the first time. The snack pantry is awesome yeah that's the one you purchase right no 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 i was on a jet blue plane and inside the, the middle of the cabin they have just a pantry with unlimited snacks you go in get your own drinks your own whatever you don't have to wait on the flight attendant oh that's nice. the, in the experience. back in the back of the plane i was in the middle of the plane it must have been a, like a really new jet oh wow that's nice yeah. no, we didn't have that on our flight <laughs> yeah so I want to throw, I'm going to throw a little shade here, Mark. I, I, I got some questions I know everybody wants to know in terms of it's like a big rival, you know, the online websites and private practice, you know, they're stealing our business away, but uh, we all have to learn to work in harmony. So um, the PD, it's a big discussion. And I, I'm, how do you train people to uh, take their own PD or using some VTO software and app? credit card, rulers, what has been proven to be the best method for you? Absolutely. And so obviously we, we're well aware of that. And that's something that we've always dealt with. So just to kind of give you the, the flow, when we first started out, we came up with the idea to create a PDF of a ruler. And we had people measuring with the PDF ruler. People have probably seen those online. But about a year and a half ago, we developed something called ACCUPD, A-C-C-U-P-D. Um, and you can access it on our website, or you could go to AccuPD.com, and it's really phenomenal. Um, it's it's accurate, um, and what we do is we tell people to use that um, for their PD. Um, they use a, a card as a reference point, um, and it also uses artificial intelligence. So when you actually put your head in there, you'll see the screen will actually read your face, um, and then in combination with the card and that, um, we are able to usually get it within a half a millimeter. So it's really been a game changer for us. And we, and we've, we validated it with existing PDs and, um, it's, it's great. It's, it's been great. Um, and that's really where I think things are going. Um, we use that. I think other competitors have apps that they've developed that probably leverage very similar technology behind the scenes, um, using yeah, a yeah. reference point, um, like a card. And I think that that's kind of where it's gone. You know, I understand the reluctance of giving the PD on a prescription. It's not technically part of a prescription. So I, I well, and actually, you know, in a lot of states, it is a part of the prescription. Now the, the legislation is leaning towards that way. You know what? I'm 100% an advocate. I love to give the PD out for free. I don't want to be as a retailer. We got to be friendly. I don't want to be a barrier. Look, if you want to shop online, if you want to shop at the competitor down the street, here's the PD. And hopefully later on, they'll realize, hey, they were easy to do business with. Why does Costco return the trash can, you know, that, that's broken five years later? It, it doesn't, I saw it happen. Someone brought in one of those trash cans with the uh, automatic lids with, you know, you put the batteries in it. Like, dude, the trash can's literally damaged and so dirty. You're returning it. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's just taking advantage of the that system. That is. Okay, so the PD, uh, seg heights, you're fitting PALs, right? Progressives? Yes. Okay, I'm similar way, or how do you measure? Right, so we actually developed a formula. So when we first started out, my initial feeling about progressives was initially, I never thought they could be fit online, to be honest with you. Um, I was not in favor, all, all honesty, I was not in favor of doing progressives. And you could see in the early days of our website, we did not do any multifocals. Um, 
until we developed a formula that we were happy with. And it's a combination of a formula that's based on frame measurements and some other variables, um, as well as some questions we ask people about common positioning of the frame that they normally wear. So if you go through the process and buy progressives on our site, we, we ask some additional questions if they're getting a progressive. Um, and using that combination, you know, honestly, it's worked fantastic for us. And I look, I understand people's apprehension and concern about that. And there are people that are not comfortable with that. And, you know, we've been willing to, you know, send people a frame. And if they want to get a seg height done professionally, um, we're willing to do that. Um, it's rare, but we do do that for some people sometimes. Mm, um, they Interesting. Okay. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll come in and they'll, you know, they'll mark it up, you know, on the demo, on the demo lens. And, and we'll do that for them. Um, you know, we always want to accommodate everybody, but that's not the norm. The norm is for us to utilize our system that we have in our formula, um, which has been very successful. Um, it's, you know, the Sekai is very forgiving. Uh, most of the time you can be within two millimeters Yeah, and I'm a big fan of accuracy, but you can be, and generally if you do half a B plus three, uh, you get pretty dang close on a lot of frames. You're going to get now, pretty damn right. Well, yes. Uh, Absolutely. Now, with the big ass frames today, I mean, you got like 45B measurements. Okay, it's a little more complicated. So it is. It is. Um, and, you know, we, we've had to tweak based on B measurement of the frame. So the formula accounts for the B measurement. Um, and, and we do make some alterations with, depending on the size of the frame without getting to, to too much detail. But, you know, <laughs> tell us about adjustments. You know, the frame's not going to be perfectly fit. The nose pads probably are digging in, perhaps. And, but you have it in standard adjustment before it leaves your, your lab, your warehouse. So what is the correct instructions uh, for adjustments? You reimburse an, uh, a person who adjusts it. Like, what's your process? No, so it's interesting. So, well, first of all, you're correct. We leave, it leaves in standard four-point uh, four touch alignment. Um, we also go through a lot of verification to make sure everything's perfect. Um, we have um, the newest... Um, lensometers that do the wavefront on there uh, to make sure that every the RX is perfect. Uh, we double check the seg heights. We make sure everything is exactly accurate. Okay. So you have an optician on staff yeah, who's of course. actually of course. looking at each order. Absolutely. You know, we are very thorough. We're I'm in the I'm in the back there. You know, my partner's in the back. We're these we're 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 spot checking and double checking and overseeing this as well. Um we're quality controls everything for us. If you think about it because we're not in a retail store, we're not meeting you face-to-face, -face, the bar is actually higher. I know it's hard to believe, but the bar is higher for us because- That's true. Think about, I mean, really, we don't have that wiggle room. You know, we don't, you know, get to make that little quick turn with the, you know, the thing to turn it a couple of degrees on axis. You know, we really have to get it right before we send- That's true. You know? That's true. It's like, yeah, okay, I got a round frame. You know, it's really easy to get that lens off axis by three degrees when you insert it. Right. And they can't, patient can't just walk in and, and twist it. You're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I, listen, when I worked in practice, we'd be like, oh, no problem. Give it to me. I bring it in the back. I'll do a little twist, you know, clean it off, adjust the nose pads. You put it back on. It's like perfect. You know, we don't have the yeah. luxury of that because we're not in person. So obviously the bar for us in terms of just getting it to them the correct way the first time is very high. And we pride ourselves on that. That being said, obviously there are adjustments that are made. So one of the first things we do is we try to guide them if they call us or email us. We have tutorials online. We have videos um, that are, you know, have become pretty popular on YouTube, actually. There's some pretty nice videos on adjustment. Um, some of them are kind of funny because uh, the gentleman who's actually doing them has like a fake fireplace in the background. It's actually, uh, we didn't realize it when we filmed it, but they're, they're, they're pretty funny actually looking at them now. Um, but they work great and people really love them and they really have been kind of a game changer for a lot of people. Everybody, we have a lot of DIYers in the world. Every single person here, even listening to this, we all DIY something. Like, hey, my, my sink is clogged. Okay, well, put the Drano down and take apart the pipes, get the hair out. Or, uh, you know, in the winter, your, your doors, or is it the summer? Your doors start to kind of uh, not line up with your door frame. And so, like, you're going to readjust <laughs> it, so... Yeah, no, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not the handiest guy in the world, so I'm not sure which one that is. But I'll be honest with you, not everybody is a DIY. I get that, you know? And, and yeah. for those people, we, they have options. They can mail it to us, and we'll, they'll describe to us what the issue is, and we will readjust it for them. Um, 
we also tell them if they, you know, want to take it, take it into a local place, you know, we tell them that that's their prerogative as well. You know, we don't push any one local place. We don't encourage it per se. Uh, we try to handle things ourselves, but you know, obviously there yeah. are people that will take it just like people purchase eyeglasses in one store and go to another to get it fixed. I mean, that happens all the time. Even when I was in practice, people just asked me to adjust their frame. That's, that's fine. And that's just something that, you know, is part of it. And there's a lot of negative energy. I'll just be, be frank with you online of, uh, people will come in with an online frame and then your private practice is like, I'm not touching that. I'm like, come on, guys. Just freaking adjust the frame. You have a person here who's asking for help. They Just adjust the frame. It's not going to fall apart. Okay, just inspect the frame. Yes, I understand if, if it's completely splayed out and it's just a total mess. Yeah, you should probably warn that person that this could break. But I'm a big advocate of if someone walks in with a $39 pair of glasses to my office – Hey, it's free game for me to sell. It's opportunity knocking on my door. This is lead. We pay good money for this online. That's a perfect, that's an expensive lead generation right there. When someone comes to your office and actually says, please adjust this. The whole process, that whole time you're schmoozing them. The whole time you're you're going over and like, oh, wow. Wait, when was the last time you had your eyes examined? I see the lens is a little bit scratched on this side. You know, actually, I think the doctor has a, an opening at 2 p.m. If you're here ready, you know, you have so many opportunities. We don't get that online. We pay big bucks for a lead gen and we don't get to talk yeah. to them like that. So, you know, I agree with yeah. you. you. You have the right attitude. That's absolutely an opportunity. Um, the other thing we do with our customers is that we offer them, you know, free returns and a money back guarantee. So if they get something and they do need to have an adjustment, including an RX change by the OD, we will honor that for free. So we are big believers in that as well. We understand that sometimes people will get a prescription and maybe, you know, I, I've, as someone who's written a lot of prescriptions, I know that sometimes people are behind the foropter and it's not always their best day. And maybe they needed a little more plus than, than they took. And sometimes they'll go back for an RX check with the OD or MD, and now the RX has changed. They'll bring it to us. We'll honor that for free. We'll eat it. We, we eat that. We don't we don't say anything negative about the dispensing doctor. We never do. We're we're always behind them. We always advocate for them. We always um, try to work in concert with them. It's not always easy, but we try very hard to be like a pharmacy in that regard. We try to just fill what the doctor has requested, and we try to honor any changes that they've made without any problems. We want the patient to be happy. So, you know, we do the very best we can in that regard. Um, so as we wrap up here, I just want to let you know, guys, who are listening, no online frame company is the enemy. You are your own enemy if you decide not to get online. We have all the resources to to get on the internet. Whether you build your own store, I don't recommend it because it's going to cost you six figures. Uh, yes, you have all the Shopify plugins and WooCommerce, but it's just not that easy. We're not selling sweaters. Uh, Mark, I don't even want to know how many developers you have on, on your team. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of software development, a lot of, uh, a lot of funds that went into that. Um, so you have another product I'm just going to throw out there. It's called OcuSleep. Is that right? Okay. What the heck is that? And are you selling vitamins or what? No, no, no vitamins. So these are non-prescription and prescription sleep glasses. So very simple. You know, during the pandemic, I, you know, my kids couldn't fall asleep. They were on the devices all the time. I'm like, this is crazy. There's got to be a better way. The the pediatricians like give them melatonin. And I'm like, you know, I'm not a big fan of giving my kids, you know, drugs, even though- Drugging them up. Yeah, exactly. It's not like my favorite thing in the world. And then I started reading about it and it's actually very unregulated. Um, there's a lot of controversy about melatonin. There's a lot of controversy about dosage, um, safety, especially at higher doses, especially with younger kids, pregnant people, diabetics, a lot of stuff. There, there's quite a bit coming out. And I started just by coincidence. I was also at a uh, continuing education at uh, SUNY Optometry, and there was a gentleman speaking, and he was talking about blue light glasses. I know it's something you you're very. Uh, I I think blue light is a little a little phony, but that's a whole other discussion. Right? No, no, and and I think unfortunately I I have to agree with a lot of what's been out there, but this was interesting. He was talking about like melatonin. He mentioned the melatonin and the higher spectrum of blue light, not what the traditional blue light glasses block, because that's a lower, like 410, 420. But when you get to the higher stages, he was mentioning that. And I was like, wait a second, do they make 
something that does this to help people fall asleep. And like kind of clicked for me. And so I, I, I was like, there was one or two sites that actually did have something. I was like, but we can do something like this and develop something. And so my partner and I, we went, we went to town. There was a tremendous amount of, of, of really solid research done at major universities, a uh, peer reviewed that supported this technology. We were blown away and we, we got it. We got a spectrophotometer in house, like the good one. And we, we did all the testing and we found the right combination and we, you know, we did the internal testing and, we came up with OcuSleep and it works absolutely phenomenal. Um, we just launched it. Um, we've, we put it out there to the public. We've gotten a couple hundred reviews and, and it's, um, it's really great. You know, uh, we, we gave it away initially, uh, just to let people try it out and, uh, we're getting really good feedback. My kids are using it and, uh, they're falling asleep because what it does basically is, um, the blue light that normally prevents melatonin from being released. From your, it's either from a phone or from a screen or a TV. What this does is it blocks that spectrum, which is basically the upper blue spectrum and a little bit of the green spectrum. And so about two hours before your normal bedtime, you put these on and the pineal gland releases the natural melatonin. And then you just fall asleep naturally. You don't need to take a supplement. Um, and you can continue doing all your normal activities, playing on your phone, doing all the normal things. Um and it really works great, especially with, you know, basic sleep hygiene. Okay. Now, is it uh, a tint? Is it a film in the lens? Like, wh what really is it? It's actually a tint. Yeah, it's actually a tint. It's a very specific um, spectrum blocking tint. Um, but it, it's, yeah, it is a it is a tint that, you know, let, you know, obviously we all know how sunglasses work with a tint. It blocks certain spectrums of light. This particular tint blocks, you know, from about four, you know, up to about 520 or so um, nanometers of, uh, of light. And the reason we chose that and the reason why that's important is because that's the spectrum of light that the special cells in the eye, the IPRGC cells are sensitive to. And that, that's what communicates with the brain to release the melatonin. So that's the very specific wavelength that actually works. So, and we actually have a nice thing on the OcuSleep website. We describe the science in a little bit of detail. If you go to the website, okay. you can see like all the details. Yeah, and if, if people listening to this, if you want to retail these uh, as Planos, um, they're available. And I'm all about selling accessories. I freaking love it. Like sell quality cleaning cloths, sell lens spray, sell... Um, little cute cases and stuff people buy that stuff all the time it's such an impulse and like what do they retail for the ocu so the ocu sleeps uh, they retail for 95 95 okay yeah. so again guys they're gonna they're either gonna eventually find these on amazon or wherever i'm sure amazon has some cheap knockoff as they always do they do <laughs> i can't vouch for it but uh, or you can sell them in your office, and it's just something you can try. I'm sure it's not a, a large, very large buy-in. No, it's it's great. You, you sell wholesale, right? Yes. If we want them, of course, absolutely. Well, um, you know, Mark, th this has been excellent. I am a big advocate of you know leveraging the resources, and I'm sure if anybody wants to reach out, you'd be happy to you know just talk shop, and you have a bunch of other you know ventures going on you're sure and I'm, I'm glad that you keep up your your education and you stay up to date on the science so i think it's helpful um there's so many aspects of optometry and opticianry that are are out there and i did want to ask you because um i get this question all the time for a, a lot of the optical community are you hiring people want to work remote are you hiring is there <laughs> jobs available um you know this nanosecond no but we usually are um, and we probably will be very soon. Um, so okay. right this second, no, but we will be. Okay. All right. Because there's just always, it's like, how do we break? People are always like, how do I break through the next step in my career? So let's say you've been dispensing for 10 years. You're like, I'm ready for the next challenge. And, you know, maybe this is a challenge for somebody. Well, I'll say this. Anybody wants to reach out, my email is literally mark, M-A-R-C, at $39glasses.com. And anyone who wants to ask me questions personally or just get info. I'm, I'm a very open guy. I'm happy to share information and uh, I'm always delighted to speak with people. So it's, it's uh, my pleasure. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the same way. Like uh, I love when people ask me, Hey Perry, uh, where do I, where do I source this titanium nose pad? I'm like, Oh, just call Jeff and you know, he'll get you a pair. Like there's a, the best information is not posted online. It's not in the Reddit thread. Um, you know, it's, it's through these one-on-one -on -one interactions. Absolutely. 
But um, final words, Mark, what do you got to say about, you know, optometry and, and optical? My Honestly, my, my best thing I could say is embrace technology because it's here. It's not going anywhere. We're all using it. Think about how to make it work in your office, SMS, email automation with your existing list, um, using the data that you have from your existing customers and repurposing it in creative ways, reaching out to a, just a random developer to build you a custom widget just for yourself to help you come up with new ideas. Um, there's infinite possibilities. And as ODs, you are the gatekeepers and you really do control the flow and, and you have first opportunity with that patient. So I would say that you know anybody who's seeing patients directly don't see us as an enemy. We're, we supplement, you know, we're here. People like to do research online and some of them will buy online, but we work in synergy in a lot of ways with you guys. Um, and we can't do the eye exam. So they're there. So we, we want to be a partner. We don't want to be an enemy. Uh, we're friends. We're real people. We're normal people. And, you know, we love everybody. So we, we just, you know, want to be seen in a positive light. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned the custom widget. That's an interesting thought. I, have talked to a few practices in the past month who are building apps, not for internally, for, for operational efficiencies. And I'm like, this is genius. They're like yeah. trying to communicate with their patients or maybe they're trying to keep um, records better and they're not relying on their EHRs or these out of the, um, these standard systems to do it. They're like, I have such a specific reason. I'm willing to drop five grand to solve it. And I think that is, is brilliant. Absolutely. Take advantage of APIs on everything. You can tap into everything now and can, and Zapier and things like that brings different softwares together. There's so much out there and it's not expensive if you, you know, do it right. Yeah, Zapier, I think they allow a certain number of zaps per month for free even. Which is right. There's, and there's so many tools out there now. Just Google it. Honestly, just yeah. Google it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks so much. And, um, Perhaps catching you in New York here. Sounds soon. great. Yeah, I'll be there. I'm looking forward to meeting you. You too.